Good morning to all of you. It's a visual aid in case you were wondering. I'll talk about it in a moment. I'm Pastor Tim. I'm the executive pastor here at Grace and very excited to be able to share with you from the scriptures today. In fact, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. If you want to turn there, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. I'm preaching this week because Pastor John had a week off. He's here down front, back from backpacking. Thank you for praying for him. Great, he's here. (laughs) Glad to have him. It's a little intimidating, um, as you can imagine, but uh, not because of him. It's because of me. Anyways, it's a I'm happy to be here, happy to share with you. I've been thinking about this sermon for quite a few months now. You know, it is Independence Day, July 4th. Happy Independence Day. Independence, freedom. We are a free nation. You know, as I get older, I find out that people get less and less, especially young people, disconnected from history, if you will. I'm, I'm sure you know that this Independence Day, this 4th of July weekend, is a federal holiday to commemorate the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It was actually on July 2nd when it was ratified, but it was signed on July 4th, and that was when the Continental Congress declared that the 13 American colonies were no longer subject to the monarch of Britain, King George III. The United States became a free and sovereign nation, self-governed. And when we talk about freedom, and we sang about it a lot today, in the context of this particular holiday, what we're talking about is the freedom of a nation from another nation. In other words, we are, as I said, self-governed. We are a free nation. That's the context. And I want us to talk a little bit about freedom and independence today. I think it's a great topic, actually. And I want to ask, as a free nation, does that mean that we have complete freedom as individuals? As a citizen of the United States of America, does that mean we are free to do and say whatever we want to do or say? Now, there is a, I looked up a variety of definitions. There's a lot of them on freedom. The first one is the act of being free. (laughs) But one of them says a definition of freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Think about that. Do you believe that? I, I read a post on Memorial Day, just this last Memorial Day, It was entitled, Listen Up, America. And I'm just going to read you a portion of it, but it seems to imply that we have complete freedom. On Memorial Day, we the people, in caps, should show respect and honor to those who have come before us and those who have paid the ultimate price. Because it's it's marking, Memorial Day is marking the day that, that we honor those who died and served so that we can have the freedoms that we have. And so that's what that's all about. Those who have paid the ultimate price so that we can live in the greatest country on earth and have the freedom to do and be whatever we want. Kind of sounds like a graduation speech. You can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. 
It seems to imply that we the people, we as citizens of the United States of America, have complete freedom and independence. Would you agree? I'd like you to think about that. That's what I want to explore a bit here this morning. And honestly, I think it doesn't take much time to think about it, that honestly, I don't think too many people believe that we are completely free to do whatever we want. But so often, people act and speak as if they do have complete freedom. This is why there's so much complaining and grumbling about, you know, our rights being taken away. You see this all over Facebook, which, by the way, or all over social media. And just for the record, I just wish Christians would get off of social media, frankly, because I don't know that we're doing the kingdom of God much good. As we think about this, I'd like to consider, I'd like to give you three kind of thoughts to inform your thoughts as we go to the, to the scriptures. First thing I would say that to say we as citizens of the United States of America is a bit problematic for us as believers. And the reason it's a bit problematic for us, well, we certainly are citizens of the United States physically, right? We were, I'm happy to be an American. I love the freedoms we have in America. And physically, I am a citizen of the United States as most of you are. But theologically... We are not citizens in that sense. We are called aliens and strangers. And actually, the actual word is we are called exiles. We are not, we are citizens first and foremost of the kingdom of God. In 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12, I'm not going to quote it all to you, but it says, here's where we get some of this. But you, speaking to us as believers, which I'm speaking to you as believers this morning, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Our allegiance is to God. Our freedom in Christ was bought and paid for by him. And then as you get down to verse 11, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, and it's literally exiles, that we are to live a certain way. We don't live like the world does. We live differently. Sinclair Ferguson in his book, Devoted to God, it's a great book, he said this, I just happened to come across this the other day, an exile, hear this, an exile is someone who is separated from his native geographical and cultural sphere and is now living in another place altogether. And so the point being is that as citizens of the kingdom of God, no matter what other people think, we are not completely free to do everything we want. We have much freedom in the kingdom of God, but we live differently because we are witnesses and we belong to God himself, which leads to, and so as you think about that, I should say, as you think about that, there's a couple of things that will come into play as you deal with freedom. There are a couple of of issues that will inform how you live, which is why I brought this. You know what this is, right? This is a four-foot level. You use a level to make sure something is level. And I can tell you I'm not a, I'm not a contractor or something like this, but I've built enough that, you know, if if it gets off a little bit, the bubble goes one way. If it gets off the other way, the bubble goes the other way. And, and your goal when you're building something is to have the bubble right in the middle. 
If you don't have it right in the middle, especially if you get something that's quite a bit longer, when you get to the end, you got something that's pretty ugly and then it doesn't fit right. So you always want to, when you're building something, you want to be level. Now, I bring that up because of the two issues when we deal with freedoms that will inform you and affect you. The first thing in this, in this concept is this thing we call law, laws or constraints. And I think you all know that we must have laws. Now, there's a way to get off level with laws. And the farther off level you get, the uglier it is. And it's called legalism. Legalism is one side of the level that if you get there is gonna get you into a lot of trouble. Having laws, by the way, is not legalism. Having laws is not legalism. In fact, Jesus himself says, don't think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish the law, which means we need laws and they're a part of the kingdom. I have come to fulfill them. Where it becomes legalism is when we exaggerate those laws or we add to those laws or we use those laws to constrain people and restrict people and take things away from people. It can get us into all kinds of problems. And some of us have a tendency to be kind of bent that way. Legalism in the doctrine of salvation carries with it this idea that that it's works by, salvation comes by works. In other words, you gotta do everything a certain way or you're not saved. And so it's really out of balance, if you will. The other issue that comes into place is grace, freedom, and in reference to legalism or laws, it would be no law. That's when it starts to get kind of off balance. And we call that license. License, you know what a license is. A license, if you have a driver's license, it gives you the freedom to drive. So license gives you the permission to act. Freedom of action, if you will. And where it gets off balance, where it gets kind of out of whack, is when we get to the point where we think we can do anything we want because we're forgiven. That's called license. 1 John 1.9 says, if you will confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So where it really gets out of whack and it's ugly is when someone says, I'm a believer, I can do whatever I want to do. So when you're, and, and, and I'm gonna be forgiven. There's a bit of truth in that, but it can really get people in, prob- in a problem. So when you're dealing with legalism, or license, we wanna try to bring those things back together because we need both. In fact, you can see that. Do you know where the first law was given in the scriptures? Of course you do, it was in Genesis chapter two. The Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden and he told him, you're free to have, now here's the freedom. You're free to have all the fruit, all, all that's in the garden, it's all yours. You're free to use it, but, Do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you will certainly die. And so what the point that I'm making is that we need both. And the point I'm hopefully trying to inspire us in on this day, and by the way, as I talk to you about this passage, I want you to know, I've heard Pastor John said this, I'm preaching to myself as well, because I fall short in these areas. What I'm telling you is that it it matters how we live. How we live matters to God. So, 
Let's read the passage and then we'll talk about it for a bit. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. I'm sure you're familiar with the passage. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, heads, hands, sorry, that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Now, before I go any further, let me talk about this word about when it says God hates, because we struggle with that. We struggle applying hate to God. It's a strong word, and we struggle with it because we, God is a God of love. Well, first off, when you have these emotions that we're familiar with as humans, they're not quite the same with God. But saying that God hates these things, I think you would agree with that because God must hate sin. He must. It's a part of his nature, but it's also because sin stands against love. Matthew Henry said, God hates sin. He hates every sin. He can never be reconciled to it. He hates nothing but sin. Practically speaking, how could God love sin and be a God of love? I mean, think of some of the most heinous things in your mind right now. Think of the heinous things that people do. Would you be good if God loved that? Of course you wouldn't. He can never endorse sin. And so to say that he hates it is actually a part of his love. And first and foremost, he hates it because it affects his kingdom. But hear this, he also hates it because it affects you and it affects me. It's not good for us. Why do we try to teach our children what they should or shouldn't do? Because some of the things that they're going to do will hurt them and we don't want them to be hurt. We want them to learn from our experience. Well, it's the same for God. So let's talk about these seven qualities. The first one that God says he hates is haughty eyes. I'm not sure if that's not a real common term. Haughty is basically arrogance. It's blatantly and disdainfully proud. Having or showing an attitude of superiority and contempt for people or things perceived to be inferior. It's the idea of someone standing over another person, you know, thinking they're better than them, if you will. This quality, people that have haughty eyes have a tendency to overestimate themselves and underestimate or devalue others, especially in terms of spirituality, knowledge, intellect, and etc. They're arrogant. They're unteachable. They're rebellious. They're judgmental. You know what that looks like. It's ugly. And how can someone be a witness for the Lord if they have this quality because people don't want to be around them. And you might be saying, wow, do I struggle with this? Well, I'll just say this. You may have a problem if right now you're not evaluating yourself, but you're thinking about somebody else that maybe needs to know about this. That's where we get into trouble. And there's always a corresponding freedom that comes with it, by the way. 
We can have haughty eyes, we can be arrogant, we can think of ourselves as being better than other people, or instead of having haughty eyes, we could use our eyes to look for the good things that people are doing for the kingdom of God. We can look for the good things in people. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. The second quality is a lying tongue. Now, I've heard it said um, by people, I don't lie. I've made that statement myself. In fact, we did a, a leadership retreat and we used to play this game called Mafia. And it was basically a game that you have to lie. You have to try to convince people you're not who the card says you are, the, the way the game works. And I used to always say, I won't do it. I'll play the game, but I won't lie, which meant I usually lost. I heard my wife say, Tim won't lie. When I said, I'm not the mafia, they said, he's not the mafia, he won't lie. But you know what? It's actually not true. I actually do lie, and so do you. The problem with this quality is that we have a tendency to justify our speech, and it's something we should be working on and allowing the Holy Spirit to help us with. Um, we have a list of things that we don't really consider lies, but they are lies. Things like exaggeration to make us look better than we actually are, only telling half the story, avoiding an answer, you know, I won't answer, uh, withholding the truth, what they don't know won't hurt them, uh, might not, but I'll tell you what, it's better, to come, it's better to tell the truth than it is to have it come about in another way than people don't know if you're really sorry for what you did. I won't tell them because it's better for them not to know. Gossip, spreading rumors. And here's the interesting thing about gossip, which we do all the time. If the gossip turns out to be a lie and not true, you know what we do? Well, it's not my fault because that person told me wrong. But I spread the rumor. So we're a part of that. Reposting things on social media that aren't true. Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins, great book, I would recommend it to you, says sins of the tongue such as gossip, sarcasm, and other, kind, other unkind words to or about another person cannot thrive in an awareness that God hears every word we speak. The reason we do sin with our tongues is due to the fact that we are to some degree ungodly. And he has something to say about ungodly, but I'll tell you that in a minute. Instead of using, having a lot, using our tongues to lie, we can use our tongues, the corresponding thing, to encourage others. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. The third quality is hands that shed innocent blood. Now, right off, a believer would say, or you guys would say, well, this doesn't apply to me because I've, it's like murder. I don't think anybody in this room has murdered someone. At least it's unlikely. Most people are not murderers, so we have a tendency to push this aside. But it's interesting that in the Sermon on the Mount, you're very aware of the fact that Jesus used anger and corresponded that with murder. Matthew 5, 21 to 22 says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So we may not murder people, but boy, we sure do assassinate them 
We assassinate them with how we treat them. And in a sense, we, use, we have hands to murder them. And we need to be very careful with that. And instead of using our hands to shed innocent blood, we can use them to serve the Lord and to encourage people. Are you seeing a little bit of a theme? The fourth one is hearts that devise wicked schemes. A wicked scheme is thinking or conceiving evil against any individual or group for personal benefit or other misguided objectives. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And again, people will push this aside because when they think about devising wicked schemes, they, they think about really like evil stuff. But, but we devise wicked schemes that are maybe not thought of as being that wicked. We do it in romantic relationships when we come up with ways to get what we want out of that relationship. We devise the scheme to get what we want. We scheme to get our way in a variety of ways. Teenagers, I'm told, are really good at this. If you have a teenager, you might be willing to admit that. They'll go to one parent. That parent says no, so they go to the other parent. And so they devise a wicked scheme. But I just want to say something. As someone that was a youth pastor for many years, I get a little tired of hearing people put down teenagers because I don't think we are inoculated from this. I think we're just as bad. We just don't have parents over us holding us accountable to it. Wanting to do something so bad that we give no thought to God at all. That's a wicked scheme. And it is simply ungodliness. Again, Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sin, says, ungodliness may be defined as, pay attention to this. I actually heard Pastor John say this several times in his previous, maybe not quite like this, but he brought up this many times in the past. Ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little to no thought of God or God's will, or of God's glory, or of one's dependence on God. If we would keep the Lord before us, we, it would change how we would live. Instead of, and in, so we want to guard our hearts, and so instead of exposing our heart to evil, we can choose to guard it closely. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. This is why we need good people around us. This is why we need the church. This is why we need small groups. This is why we need good godly friends that will help us not to get up, caught up in doing these things. The fifth one, feet that are quick to evil. Feet that are quick to rush into evil can be viewed as enthusiastic or involvement in things that dishonor God. Enthusiastic and complete involvement in things that dishonor God. And the average Christian, again, will ignore this verse as irrelevant because when they think of the evil deeds or actions, they, label, they, they have ones that they label as wicked or morally wrong, but they don't think about the things that they go and see, the things that they involve themselves in, the things that they do that they shouldn't do because they have no awareness of God and they justify it away. We are so good at doing that. Such activities include but are not limited to 
Again, gossip, which I think is rampant in the church. Rebellion, assassination of character, going and watching and seeing things that we should not go and watch and see. And they create wounds that can last a lifetime. And instead of, instead of running to evil, we can rush to righteousness. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I just want to say I didn't have this. I just thought of it just now. So often we as believers think about these things when we're sitting in this room, but we go out the door and never give it another thought. And so we live one way here, and we live a completely other way out in the world. We all fall into that trap, me included, and we need to work on that. The sixth one is false, a false witness. And again, it goes back to lying. Proverbs 19.5 says, a false witness will not go unpunished. In other words, we don't get away with these things, even though we think we might from time to time. Sin will always expose itself. It will never, you will never get away. By the way, when you, leave, when you don't tell somebody something because you think it's, it's going to hurt them, it's going to come out eventually. Tell the truth. People, God's people ought to be good witnesses. A false witness will not go unpunished, and the one who sprouts out lies will not escape punishment. Now, again, most would think of this in terms of like a courtroom setting, but it's much more than that. It happens, we are a witness for the Lord each and every day. We are a witness. We, when, we, when we spread information and when we talk, we are giving witness to truth or to lie. And again, I'm going to say it one more time. And I, you're probably tired of it, but I, I, I still don't think people are really listening. Social media is a breeding ground for this kind of stuff. It sickens me to see some of the stuff that I see on social media from the people of God. I can only imagine what the Lord thinks about it. Do we really think we're making a difference by pontificating over social media about the ills of the world? Wouldn't it be better for us to go out and live our lives for the Lord? And rumors, they may or may not contain elements of truth, but they're ver but their veracity is anyone's guess. Rumors carry no factual certainty. They always infect and always contaminate the church. This returns to the theme of deception, which, by the way, is a direct violation of the, one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And instead of spreading false testimonies, we can choose to be a testimony for Christ and share his good news with others. Acts 10.42 says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and dead. And then finally, and the scripture says, and it's debated, and I'm not going to get into it that much, but it's, when you read this passage, it says six things God hates, seven that are detestable. And some say that the seventh is detestable to him. I'm not sure that it really reads that way. But what I can say is, and I will say, is that the seventh one, I think, is kind of a summary statement. In other words, all those things create this seventh thing. Do not stir up dissension among the brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God, the church. 
Proverbs 28.25 says, The greedy person stirs up dissensions, but the one who trusts in the Lord will prosper. The point I'm saying is that the seventh one is the total sum of everything the author has mentioned prior to this point, in my opinion. He, out of the fruit of his corrupted heart, causes conflict among the brothers. And boy, I'll tell you what, as we have labored to walk through a pandemic as a church, there's been a lot of complaining and grumbling and dissension. And this is detestable to God. Instead of stirring up dissension among brothers, we can strive to promote unity. Acts 4, 1 to 3, sorry, Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make, hear this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Just the other day, my dear Stephen Elliott sent me a quote from Henry Blackaby. It's called Slaves to Righteousness, and I will leave you with this as we pre- prepare to go into communion. Righteous living is not, is not an option for a Christian, nor is it something we must try to do over time. It is an obligation Mandatory for every child of God. Our freedom in Christ is not freedom to do whatever we want. It is freedom to live righteously. And it's a great way to live, by the way. Something we could not do when we were in bondage to sin. Now that we are free to live righteously, we must allow the Holy Spirit to produce in us a holy, sanctified life. It matters how we live because we take the kingdom to the world who needs Jesus Christ. And as we prepare to go to communion, hopefully you got your communion cups. I want to take a moment because there's been a lot said here. I just want to give us a moment to stop and give you a moment to pray kind of privately to your Lord, our Lord, and then I'll lead us. Amen. Our dear pastor said something to me in my office the other day. It was probably a couple of weeks ago. He said there is, I'll quote him as close as I can, don't hold him exactly to it, but he said, there is a freedom much greater than the freedoms we have in civil liberties. There is the freedom that we have in Christ. And we have that freedom in Christ We have that freedom from sin because of what he did on the cross. This bread is symbolic of the fact that he went to the cross to die for our sins so that we could be 
all that he wants us to be and so that we, through the Holy Spirit, can do the good works of God. Take and eat. cup signifies the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross. He chose us and chose to go to the cross to shed his blood, to pay the price for everything we talked about this morning that is wrong and everything that is wrong in the world. All the sins when he died and his shed blood was shed it was to take away the sins of the world. I will never forget the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I will never forget, and I still sense it today, the freedom that I felt, and I know you can relate to that, when I said, Jesus, you are my Lord. And life just, what I thought I'd have to give up for that as I thought about it prior to that moment, it just was all nothing. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you accepted the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you were set free. And we are free indeed. Take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you have not received, you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were not a people of God, but now you are the people of God. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. God bless you all.